listening to the Astral Hour. I'm your host, Astral Meadow. Join me as we take a glimpse into the mysterious. Welcome, everyone. Today, I'm joined with my husband, Justin. You might remember him from our introduction episode. Um, We're going to talk about shadow work and some things that we've learned on our journey with it. Taking the time to better understand our shadows has been huge for us individually and as a couple. It takes time, and I wouldn't call it easy, but the impact of doing this work is life-changing. And if you are not working on it consciously, you're still unconsciously projecting it. That's kind of an intense intro. Welcome (laughs) to the show. (laughs) Thanks. I appreciate that. (laughs) Thanks for doing this with me. Absolutely. I'm excited to to be on here and be a part of it. Uh, You know, I did the intro way back when. It's been a year now, at least. (laughs) Right. Just awesome. You know, congratulations on doing that for a year. That's really cool. Yeah. It's interesting how I've had this episode in my mind for about a year now because it was one of the first things that came to me when I thought about doing a podcast. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. But I was was like, I don't know, you know, how do I, how do I go about doing that properly? But then when I had the episode with Noah, when he was looking at my, my black moon Lilith Uh and how it's like on my Pluto and how it's right there, like with my uh, mid heaven. And he, when he said, you're, chart gives you permission (laughs) to do this shadow work you know for all of us like to share it with all of us right that's interesting and when he said that i was like okay so now the thing that i dreamed you know that i (laughs) i kind of had this feeling was going to come up now was just like almost invited through my chart right was like you kind of need to do this for everyone like this is something that you would be good at talking about so we'll see how it goes (laughs) (laughs) i i I think you know the more that i've learned about it and read about it with you i i understand how critically important that this is and so you can learn about all this other fascinating stuff Um, but if you don't do this particular crucial part of you know your life here as a human then you miss so much and it's almost all the rest of it becomes irrelevant because you're being controlled you know by the unconscious Right. So let's take a moment um, to talk about what the shadow is and give a little background on it and where it comes from and how it manifests and all that. And I'm going to start reading directly from Jung um, and his explanation of it. So let's go straight to the the source here. Yeah. Um, Because a lot of the things that we hear about the shadow are just um, further interpretations of Young's work. Before so. before we get started, I want to interject and just say that, you know, for many, many years, I've always been fascinated in the mysterious things of the world and especially mysterious histories and Atlantis and, and ghosts and aliens and all the various things out there that we don't really understand. And it's really blown my mind in the past couple of years that as I've really dug into it and tried to, to really learn stuff, it... It is absolutely amazing how integral and how connected Young is to all of it. It's like you—you you almost can't 
read into like dimensions and all of this stuff without young coming up. And mm-hmm. I would have never, ever thought that I would have never, ever guessed that. Uh, but it just seemed like the psychology and, and the mysteries of the world were separate, but that's, right. that's so naive. Um, but it really is exciting. Like as I learn more and then you, you read about all these various stuff and they'll use young quotes in there and all you're like, the- Oh my God. Okay. I almost laugh at this point because there's like, Never, a, like if I open any spiritual book, mm-hmm. I tend to always open it to a young quote or <laughs> someone's talking about Goethe's Faust. Yeah. And it's just wild to me. It's like, it's so relevant right now. And it's, I think that it's just right there for us to sort of grasp. We're, like it's finally ready for like modern man, the archetype of modern right. man. We're finally ready for what these people had to say and like and it's interesting because faust is so much of a story about the ego and the shadow which we'll talk about later yeah i just wanted to say that (laughs) yes because young young comes up through all of this and he's such an important part so it's just super important that you have a base understanding of what in the world he's getting at Mm -hmm. which is why this is so exciting i don't so anyway yes okay the shadow is a moral problem that challenges the whole ego personality For no one can become conscious of the shadow without considerable moral effort. To become conscious of it involves recognizing the dark aspects of the personality as present and real. This act is the essential condition for any kind of self-knowledge. And it therefore, as a rule, meets with considerable resistance. Indeed, self-knowledge as a psychotherapeutic measure frequently requires much painstaking work extending over a long period. Closer examination of the dark characteristics, that is, the inferiorities constituting the shadow, reveals that they have an emotional nature, a kind of autonomy, and accordingly an obsessive, or better, possessive quality. All right, so if I were to take this and create my own definition out of it, you know, what mm-hmm. is the shadow to me? You know, it's the the darker side of me. It's the, you know, like the yin and the yang. It's the, mm-hmm. it's, it's what's going to bring me into balance. It's also very tied in to the ego. I mean, they mirror each other. Right. So we've got the ego on the surface, the conscious mm-hmm. aspect, and then the shadow is mirroring the ego in the unconscious. So everything that I do, you know, that sort of feeds that ego is also on another end of the spectrum feeding into the shadow as well. So like, cause they, they work together. Right. But because one is unconscious we don't give it any attention mm-hmm. or recognition in, in our conscious life and so then now it becomes this like this entity that is like starved for attention if that makes sense and so it comes out into our conscious reality through projections right i think in a lot of ways m- most people try to avoid it even still right not Why wouldn't you? E- right. <laughs> Anytime that it comes up, you know, I think people just shy away from it immediately. And they think, oh, I'm that's not me. I wouldn't hurt a fly. I'm not. 
or I'm not a mean person or a jealous person, or I would never hurt anybody, you know, and anytime that they're, they become face to face with that about themselves, they think of anything that they can to, to say that's not true. And that goes into the, the video that we were watching, um, with, uh, well, what was his name? Um, Robert Johnson. And he was saying that, uh, that one of the last things that anybody ever does is admit the, like the best part, the best, best parts of themselves. And so, and that, that includes going through the, the darkness and stuff. Right. So it's almost easier for them to acknowledge the shadow as, as like a dark aspect, but it's harder for them to recognize that there's any value or any gold within the shadow. That's the last thing before I feel like integration. Right. And, um, so that keeps them denying it because if they don't ever see any, any positive in it, they're like, no, 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 no. I'm not a liar. I, I, I don't do that. I don't do right. that. So I, I'm into bringing this up too and like talking about where the shadow comes from. Well, it comes over time. Well, it's not like it comes from here, but it's an aspect of what helps mold it is our culture. So as we're growing, you know, we are learning the ways of society so that we can fit in and, mm-hmm. you know, exist in our culture um and so this is sort of the separation of like we have personal shadows we have collective shadows Mm -hmm. so like our culture you know our shadow is a little bit different um you know like in america you know you got to keep your shoes on to go into a building or they think you know get out of here you grow you know like put your shoes on and but then in a different culture they're like, oh, get out of here with your shoes on, you know, keep <laughs> right. that filth outside. And and so these are little ways that the different societies in the world might have kind of different attributes within their shadows is because the culture is different. So what's deemed bad here is might be good there. But every time we're told that something is bad or shameful or, you know, not accepted, or gross. I mean, where does that go? It, it, it gets stored into the shadow. Right. So over time, I mean, it's just like, if you think about having a closet and you're just shoving. Right. I mean, we all did that as kids, right? Like you fill up like your toy box or under your bed or whatever, and you're just filling it up with stuff because you don't want to clean it. I think I think a good example of this is like a people pleaser. Mm-hmm. Um, for this particular example, because, or somebody who, who doesn't want to, to stir the pot or cause trouble, uh-huh. you know, you, you show up at a party and, uh, you walk in the room and somebody's like, Hey, there's dummy over there. And like, just makes it a, a joke, you know? And like, uh-huh. you don't want to cause a fight in front of everybody. And so you just let it go and you repress it, uh-huh. and, but it irks at you. Whereas your shadow side would have jumped right out and snapped back and like uh-huh. protected you or said something else in that regard. And if you never say anything, then you go home later and you you have that resentment that, that builds up inside of you. And then the more you do that, the more it builds and builds and builds until one day somebody says something to you and it you, you literally snap. And maybe you do something really bad that day. And it's all because you haven't been letting your shadow out on all these points and it's built up and finally it's going to explode. Right. And something's going to come out. 
And that goes to the uh, to the analogy that I I thought was fantastic with learning about the shadow was the teeter totter, mm-hmm. and so that we have this light side and the dark side and you can think of it as like setting it out on a teeter totter and on the right side, of course, those are all the right things that we do uh-huh. in the left side, the saintly things, right? And the left side is all the wrong things, the things that we, we think we shouldn't do. And as, as you become civilized, as you grow up, you assign things to each side and you uh-huh. pile them on and you can take this analogy all the way down. And so that when, things become too much it literally snaps right on one side or the other it's too heavy and you have a breakdown your teeter-totter breaks you actually say that guy lost it yeah like he broke (laughs) down he broke down yeah Yeah. and so that's because you've got too much on either side and the darkness hasn't had a chance to to come out and it at some point it will and that's just the the nature of the universe is is the yin and yang Mm-hmm. You for every action on the light side, you will have an equal reaction on the dark side. And if you're never expressing it, then someday that's going to come out and it's going to become it's real unconscious and you're not going to know. And it could get really bad. Right. And this all comes back to the principle of polarity. Right. You know, and this is just the realm that we live in. You know, mm-hmm. this is one of the laws here. And yeah. if you don't know the rules of the game, mm-hmm. then are you even really playing or are you being like almost a victim of your shadow? Right. You know? So I wanted to go back because we talked about the teeter totter uh-huh. and we have brought up Robert Johnson earlier, but I just wanted to kind of introduce him a little bit more and let people know that that's where that analogy came from. Yes. So, um, Robert Johnson is a psychoanalyst. Am I saying that right? I think, yeah. I think so. Um, He's a writer. Uh, he was a writer. He passed away now. But um, he worked with Carl Jung. So the Carl Jung was towards the end of his life mm-hmm. when when Robert was just sort of beginning. And he worked with him directly and, and got advice from him and worked closely with his wife. Um, and took all the things that Jung taught him very literally right and uh created these beautiful rituals and um the teeter-totter is just one of his examples or tools um for working with the shadow and it's so beautiful right because you recognize that it's a balancing act and that it's in constant motion in it so there is no white and black it's like constantly blending the grays and and if you listen to him speak which i'm gonna at the end, I will put a link for his video mm-hmm. on, I think it's called Your Shadow, and it's him talking. But I'll also, he wrote a really great book on um, owning your yeah, shadow. Yeah, owning your shadow. And so I'll also put that in the comments. So this is so good. He did such a good job with this. Um, but he he makes this sort of joke about, like, in, in India, they know this, too. They've got, like, the... The Shiva Shakti, the destruction and the rebirth, and in their culture, all this is is in there, right? Mm-hmm. And we have it too. And, it, and but it's like the symbolic language that we—it's so symbolic that people don't realize that there is sort of a literal aspect to it, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so we we do have it a little bit within the, some of the the Christian mythology too. If you look, if you know where to look. But in like uh, Indian mythology, it's more 
kind of known Mm -hmm. and they sort of have this joke of like once you finally find the balance right and you're no longer playing the game you'll die in three days (laughs) (laughs) and he kind of laughs about it but that's you know we incarnate here with this purpose right you know and it is it's a game and it's where it's a juggling act and there's a lot going on and then once we you know complete that it's what's the point right and so the it feels much more like that would be the answer to a like what's the meaning of life question as opposed right. to to learn how to love it's more to learn how to balance and find the moderation in the middle of all things mm-hmm. and that's cuz that's how you would balance your your teeter totter is to be there in the middle at the fulcrum right and you know equal parts good and bad but at that point it's not you're not being bad you, you know you're just it's kind of hard to describe in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, you're using that energy, that potential energy, to to move forward. Okay, so you bring up an interesting thing. Uh, William Blake talks about how we go to heaven for form, but we go to hell for energy. So let's talk a little bit more about that energy. So when we think about form, which would be like the right side mm-hmm. of the teeter-totter, this is form, this is structure, this is where intelligence comes from. But on the other side, this is where we go to get our energy. So if we're only existing on one side, not only are we completely imbalanced, but we are missing this latent energy that's just within us. That It's like we don't even realize the source. So you were telling the story earlier that he used and i'll let you tell it again about where he was very tired before a lecture yeah yeah i thought that was an interesting little story he gave so he was early on he was talking to some lady and he'd been giving a lot of speeches around the country and stuff and he was exhausted and didn't he just didn't have the energy to go give an hour and a half speech and he was kind of complaining and the lady said okay well go do this so go in the go to find you a private room and and get you a towel and take that towel and get and wet it, it get it wet. <laughs> yeah, you want it to be heavier, but not so heavy that you, you can't move it. But get it wet so that you can have it. And then I want you to hit the ground as hard as you can. I want you to just sling it. And I want you to do that about 15 times. And if you can, if you want to, you can yell, too, at the same time. And he, he thought that was just nuts. And he was like, okay, I'll go do it. And sure enough, he went and did that. And he said when he left that room to go out on the stage, there was fire in his eyes. <laughs> and he was energized and he had used that energy. And, you know, you start slinging that towel and it starts bringing out this this energy that's inside of you. Maybe it brings up frustration from earlier in the day or resentment. Or maybe he started thinking about what his critics say about him or something. And he started slinging that towel. And that energy that he got as he did that fueled him. And he was able to come back out onto the stage and give an amazing speech. Mm-hmm. And that's that energy that's inside the shadow that we don't ever tap into. Right. And this leads me to talk about how um, we can tap into the shadow through ritual. And mm-hmm. and we can use like the language of symbolism to sort of communicate with it. And that... This is a way for us to communicate, you know? So what did he do? What was, what was that? That was a ritual that yeah. he came up with. And so at that point, when you're yelling and you're banging and, and you're really tuning into like almost a primitive 
aspect of yourself you know Mm -hmm. you think of like our ancestors around the fire with the beating the drums and Mm -hmm. and doing the chants and and just really being alive and and present in their bodies and and i think some all of the our ancestors had these different rituals where they were working on the shadow, whether that was collectively, their collective shadow, you know, but in, in some way as they were doing it, they had to be working on the personal as well, right? you know? And so for me, you know, when I think about it, like ecstatic dance for me is kind of a little bit of shadow work. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess we'll talk about some different ways to work with the shadow, but you know, as I'm there, I, I and it's funny because uh, Charity, who runs it, she always says egos egos don't dance. <laughs> and that's so true, you know. And the first few dances I went to, I was a little bit more concerned. Mm-hmm. You know, my ego was still very present. And it's not like we were ever fully transcending the ego, right? We're just trying to merge them. But the ego was at this level holding me back. Right. Okay, from this access. It thinks it's trying to protect you. Right. But it's not. It's right. In some it ways, from- it does. But in some ways, you have to consciously be like, okay, I, I hear you, ego, but this is more important. So by the... That would be, just to go off the metaphor, that would be sliding inward on the teeter-totter. Right. Not giving the ego as much room. Right. And allowing the shadow some... Right. Scoot towards the middle. Space. Some consciousness. So by the time I got to like my third or fourth ecstatic dance, I had... To some extent, I don't want to say I've like totally moved past to where I don't ever stop at any point in the dance and be like, okay, that might look weird, (laughs) but it doesn't prevent me from doing it. So if I want to make a weird animal sound and like stomp and like (laughs) whatever it is, you know, bang my arms on the ground, (laughs) that is my, you know, I'm, I'm giving the ego a little less energy mm-hmm. and allowing my more primitive side, which is, you know, the shadow is, does feel a little bit more primitive, right? like a more primitive energy. Um, and then I dance, right. And I'm dancing in, in between this. And then at some point it's like, I'm just spirit, you know, and I'm, I'm kind of beyond like the shadow or the ego in that way. And I'm not saying I fully transcended it because after the dance is over, I'm back in my body and, you know, I'm doing the game again. Right. But there was, there's this moment and it's almost every time where I hit this golden point. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what they're talking about with, with the gold and the shadow. Like when you lay off the ego a little bit, <laughs> And allow that shadow to come into the dance. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's a magic there. There's like an alchemy there. And at the, you know, this last dance I went to, it was about a week ago. I went into it with the intention of this is a ritual. Mm-hmm. You know, I like braided my hair a certain way. I put like feathers in my hair. I drew like sigils, uh, you know, on my face before I put my makeup on. Yeah. And... You know, I did some mantras and, you know, I wore my, like an outfit that I would consider more of a ritual. It felt like a tribal kind of outfit. And so when I went in, I went in as this, like I I was seeking something, you know, I wasn't sure what it was. It was just, it was to release, to merge, to bring up, to clear. It was like, there was so much going on within the dance and, and the different 
uh, speeds of the dance, it was like the intention would kind of shift. And, and then at some point I lost all control. And so all my, all my intentions sort of fade. Mm -hmm. And then I just, I'm just in the flow state at that point. Right. Right. So I've set it up to where I can participate in that ritual, but at some point the ritual actually becomes a little less important. And the actual act is something else, you mm -hmm. know, it's something beyond what I could intend. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah, I think so. So, um, so that for me, um, ecstatic dance is a way mm -hmm. that I work with my shadow. It's one of the ways, um, you know, it, it is, it's hard to make something unconscious conscious. Yeah. Like it is, it seems a little like what? you know like you well it transforms because it becomes conscious at that point and right. then so it's not unconscious that that was one of the questions on that robert johnson video somebody asked him at the end they included it, it says you know if isn't working on this doesn't it make it conscious and then it kind of negates it at that point and it's like well by definition perhaps but it ultimately you're that's integrating it you're becoming aware of right. it and then you can balance it at that point and right. it's never going to keep it from happening but like you know if uh somebody cuts you off in traffic you may burst immediately and then you're like oh goodness that was that was my shit or that was anger that was i need to redirect that or something and you're able to to fix things quicker and become more aware and sometimes it even keeps it from happening right you know if your kids are frustrating you you can you know, think about it for a minute and be like, why is this frustrating me? Cause I'm being impatient. I want this to go a certain way and they're not making it happen. And, and so you're, as, as you do it more, it becomes a little easier to think about. And, you know, I'm still working on the, the whole energy aspect of it. It's super fascinating to me that you could take that energy and focus it into something productive. Mm -hmm. um, for instance, I was listening to Jordan Peterson talk about the shadow he's a psychologist and professor that i really like and um he was saying that before he gives his speeches he uh he uses the the critique of the people who've given him negative reviews and stuff to kind of power him and he goes out and he's able to give a real impassioned speech because of that and sometimes people critique him and say that he's he's an angry man and he says but i'm not angry at all i'm just I'm using that shadow. And that's his ritual. Right, exactly. And so, I, and I think those are good examples of, of how you can use this energy that, right. that appears in you and push it forward so that it's actually benefiting you and not hindering you because mm -hmm. it's, it's there. And one way or another, it's going to affect you. And me personally, I don't, I don't really like the idea of these unseen forces just controlling my life, whipping me around in the surf. I'd rather stand up and, and try to direct myself properly through the water, you know, as opposed to something just whipping me around. I think I'm doing good until a wave crashes through and I explode all over my family or something. And everybody's like, Oh my God, that, where did that come from? Right. Cause I don't, I don't want to be that way. So this is, it's quite exciting. And uh, the rituals are definitely a, a powerful thing with that. Right. So let's talk a little bit more about some of the rituals. So yes, ecstatic dance, they also have some really cool shadow work journals. And I'm telling you, there are so many options out there. So I found this one that I really liked. And it was based around like 30 days of shadow work. And 
30 was important because it, you know, it's takes a little bit to kind of rewire your brain. And once you start doing shadow work, you think, oh, I did my shadow work. It's never done. Right. So doing it every day for 30 days consciously um, sort of helps rewire you to think of life that way. And as I was doing it, I was like, oh, I kind of I'm already doing a lot of this. But I wasn't necessarily consciously doing it. So the journal was really great to keep me like focused and maybe even go to the parts of the shadow that I don't necessarily like. So I might be more aware of like jealousy, mm-hmm. but then there was other parts that it was bringing out. And I was like, oh, you know, and so without the prompts, I might have not went there all on my own, like, cause right. it is unconscious. So it, so the prompts are there to help bring it out and then you have to meditate on it and then you respond. So you write in your journal and then it, it goes over some really cool is it set up to be done as a couple, or did we just do it that way? <laughs> we just did it that way, and, you know, shadow work is personal. So right. it's really just about you, but um, there was something about it that I felt like was needed for us, particularly as a couple. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if everyone's individually doing the shadow work, that you don't necessarily have to do it as a couple, but I think just like there's a collective shadow, there's also a shadow over couples, families, churches, communities, right. um, cities, and then it gets bigger and bigger. But like for us, you know, we had our own shadow attributes within just our relationship. And as we were doing the shadow work together, so I'd done a lot of uh, EMDR and done shadow work with myself and went to therapy. And therapy is shadow work. Okay. Yeah, that's so if true. you. If you are afraid, if you've been, you know, really messed up from like birth, you know, like what, like my situation, mm-hmm. I needed a therapist to help me initiate it and to work through some of the really rough stuff. Right. But, you know, as I worked with her, I slowly started feeling confident that I could actually do some of this work on my own. And then she's still available to me. Mm-hmm. So if I hit something that's really bad, I would be able to call my therapist or a healer, you know, I have different rituals. So like when I was doing EMDR, I might go and get acupuncture done afterwards, you know, because that was sort of moving it around out mm-hmm. of the aura and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I realized that I was, when I was doing shadow work, I was creating my own rituals and I didn't know that I, to label it as that until later on. But, um, yeah, therapy is shadow work. So yeah, keeping the journals and meditations, um, dream analysis. So our dreams for the most part (laughs) are our unconscious parts of ourselves communicating with us symbolically. Mm -hmm. And so keeping a journal by the bed, waking up, writing it down, you know, even the dreams that don't seem to have much content, just write it down and think about it, you know, um, give it some space. You know, we, we just hurry, you know, we got our alarms and we just rush into our day and we miss the magic of like that first deep breath, you know, before we put our feet on the floor, there's some magic in that space that, I think, you know, we need to slow down a little bit and think, what did I dream last night? You know, what, what came up unconsciously? What am I supposed to, to recognize, 
you know, maybe today or uh, some pattern that comes out. I mean, dreams are are such a wonderful way to to tap into this content, you know. Right. And yeah, so, I don't I don't do a good job with that <laughs> the way that I would like to. Mm-hmm. I feel like I get up and immediately start moving and dreams are they fade, fade quickly. Yeah. yeah. I've never been able to successfully implement a dream journal the way that I, I should. Know. Yeah, it's you know, it you it has to be your intention. Right. Stuff like this so like the journaling the med- it's not that that part of it's hard but you have to set the intention so this is why like doing 30 days right it's really cool and like like with kundalini yoga you do like 40 day kriyas and it's because it takes 40 days for the brain to sort of click over into like this to create this new pathway that doesn't exist and we do this like through repetition through intention Mm-hmm. And, and stuff like that and just giving it space so um so dream analysis is another way to work with the shadow um studying your projections probably a big <laughs> way um there's so much magic in studying your projections um i mean it's that is untapped energy right there so what exactly does that mean studying your projections okay so i'm going to give you an example okay okay well i'm going to start with projections if you just think about like a projector projecting an image on a screen sure are not based in reality right okay they are images but they don't necessarily have any ground right so i'm going to talk about jealousy and i'm going to you know as a girl a little girl in this culture you know i grew up and i was definitely not rich (laughs) Um, I didn't have all the things or the means um, to make myself pretty. Mm -hmm. I didn't have all of the cool clothes and I didn't have all the same things. And so this kind of set me up to have to work with the energy of jealousy in like a very obvious way where some people might not realize, oh, I'm not jealous. Mm -hmm. But I reckon like there was a point where I recognized it, Yeah, you know, and I was pretty devout Christian when I was a kid. So I did, you know, like work on like deadly sins and stuff. So um, I was working on my jealousy and like, and how like projecting that onto these beautiful women or beautiful girls, like, but almost not even being, you know, when you're jealous, okay, that's on you. So why was I jealous? Because I wasn't being provided for, I didn't have all these things. And so I was projecting that onto other people and this was preventing me from having friendships i mean there's no telling what roads would have shifted had i not reacted in jealousy with people had i embraced them and so in this way the projection was preventing me from seeing beauty in other people because i was like well i would be beautiful too if i had everything (laughs) (laughs) right um but realizing that all that was so superficial you know and at the end of the day they're just a person Mm-hmm. You know, and we're all going to get old and wrinkly and, and all of the the prettiness that is artificial will fade. And so, but working through jealousy has helped me embrace women in, more mm-hmm. and to truly honor the divine feminine. That, and I couldn't do that if I still was operating mm-hmm. and projecting that jealousy on because I would never fully be able to see 
the beauty of the woman in front of me outside of the superficial projections. Right. So that's just a way that our projections can sneak in. And it creates, I mean, it's it's totally false. Like you see a, a pretty woman and they got their nails done and their hair. And this was something too, because my mother was so, you know, about the tomboy and not embracing feminine. So I, I was kind of raised around someone else projecting that onto me. Right. To where I'm like, I really don't want to be like that you know, like a dumb blonde, you know, this is a stereotype, right? Mm-hmm. And, and because I was raised in, with someone that really hated that, mm-hmm. you know, it, it was showed up in me of like, you know, is there nothing more to these people? Right. You know, and the thing is, is that there is, but we are only seeing someone's persona. Right. We only see what people allow us to see and that there's no one on this planet that, you know, is at the surface level of what we see. Everybody has depth. Everyone has shadow. Everyone has emotions and things to say. And, you know, and maybe they, they've they disconnected because they've become so identified with the persona that maybe a part of them, you know, doesn't even remember some of the, the depth to them. But it's there. I would say it's know? even harder these days um, because, you know, Simply, we have social media and all of these things mm-hmm. that put your persona on display uh-huh. more than it ever was. Right. And so it's really important that you don't portray yourself in the world as this, as this way or that way. You know, you want it to be a certain way. And that's your ego and your persona trying to, to keep you in check. Right. So think about it. So another way to do shadow work is to feel into your body. So think about when you're scrolling social media. Mm-hmm. Think about the posts that you will not heart you will not like you will not give that like so you see a picture of a beautiful girl and she's feeling herself and she's taking a selfie and you see it and you think to yourself oh god here we go Mm -hmm. with the vanity again or whatever you know and this i feel like it's a thing i see people like hating on girls for posting selfies and now i can pull myself back and say well that's just their shadow projecting right Mm -hmm. that 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 you know, they're refusing to acknowledge that post. They won't like it. They, you know, it repulses them. Right. And so studying things that repulse you or anytime you judge a person mm-hmm. or you roll your eyes at a person or you just feel like, oh, you know, and, and those feelings are flags. Okay. So someone annoys me and then that flag goes up and, I, and then now I have an opportunity to ask myself, why am I so annoyed? Right. <laughs> and I can almost always find uh, something in myself that actually has nothing to do with the person in front of me. And when I can work on that, I can meet that person where they are. I remove the projection, which is false. Right. It's a false reality. Mm-hmm. I remove that and now I can actually love and embrace the person in front of me. Why? Because I've also learned how to love and embrace that aspect of myself. So I'm not judging them anymore about it because I'm like, oh, well, I have those abilities or that quality in myself. So using from the video that we watched with Robert Johnson and he gave an example about uh, a beach bum mm-hmm. because at one time he was a very well put together proper all the time. Well, all the time. Well, <laughs> I don't know. He, no, he he, by the end of it, he, he got closer together and I feel like that he said he brought the, uh, the lightness and the fun to right. Mr. Whoever. And I think 
so what that is is he he saw his shadow aspect as this beach bum that was down there that was living there that wouldn't do anything and all of that. Right. When he see the beach bums, he would almost judge them in that way. Right. And so I just had the thought. I guess what that's saying is is that you're you're actually maybe judging yourself mm-hmm. for not being more laid back. Right. And you recognize. And you're like, look at him over there. He needs to get a job and do all this. And that's because <laughs> you're putting so much of yourself onto that belief. That you actually dislike the people that aren't doing That are getting it. away with what you think they shouldn't because you think they shouldn't be able to get away with that. I, I work hard and I'm able to do this. Or, right. And they should have to do that too. And all, really what that means is you wish that you could work less and get away with it and do that and like right or there wouldn't be bitterness right exactly that's that's the reason any bitterness that's a flag right and it's showing you a shadow aspect so if you pass a homeless person on the sidewalk and you feel grossed out by them Mm -hmm. that's a flag that's a feeling and you would ask yourself what is it about myself you know that i'm rejecting that makes me not see the true light of that person that's sitting there. That's actually might be suffering. Right. You know, that you might actually be able to help by smiling at, but because you're repulsed, you frown at them. Right. You know, get away from me. But could you imagine being that person that all day, everyone looks at you like you're gross and no one smiles at you. So it's not even that maybe they need money. Maybe you don't have the money to give, but maybe you could look them in the eye, Mm -hmm. greet them and say, Satnam. Right. <laughs> or whatever, yeah. you know, and so we can see over and over again right. these projections, you know, and how it's really us, right? Mm-hmm. Like his, for him, his shadow is a beach bum. That beach bum lived within him, right? And and it it tested him, you know, like why don't you quit your job and just live on the beach, right? And not do anything, <laughs> right? Why don't you just be lazy, right? Yeah, give so up all of your stuff. This another really great way um, to work with to do shadow work is to study astrology, and this is so this was so good for me in a deeper way, and. As I was learning astrology, I wasn't even really thinking about it. It's <laughs> like how important it was, mm-hmm. um, especially for. So, yeah, your so astrology is like if you're looking at your natal chart, you're studying yourself. But the collective unconscious communicates with us through archetypes. So you cannot possibly study your natal chart and not learn more about everyone in your life and the collective as a whole, because all of these archetypes are actually within every person. Mm-hmm. And so as I was studying it, you know, every single zodiac sign has positive, you know, or in shadow attributes. And so it was actually so healthy for me to look at those shadow sides of myself, you know, because so I have a Capricorn stellium. I'm really driven. But this can make me overly ambitious. Mm-hmm. You know, this can lead me to you know just work myself to death i mean and then in that aspect that's a negative so when he you know he looked at himself as like so he was so proud of how hard he could work that he was judging the beach bum right well this is kind of a capricorn energy of like you value hard work so much Mm -hmm. you know and what's the other aspect of that is that you might judge people right right that aren't you know working hard so yeah astrology was so good in that way is that it really helps you get familiar with the archetypes. Right. 
you know. And so um, Jung had certain archetypes that he focused on a lot. And let's see. I'm going to pull my shadow workbook out for this because I did write them down, but I kind of liked um, in this book. So the archetype would be at the top. Mm-hmm. So for this, it would be the lover. And then it's like a triangle. And so the, the bottom two points, okay, would be the obsessive lover or like the impotent lover. Okay. So those are things that you could focus on. And we all have that quality within us. And certain archetypes I think are more important for some people. Mm-hmm. Like there's some energies and I don't want to say I've mastered them, but I feel as though they're a little less um, frequent in my life. Right. right. So some, like when I go to the king here, which is next, mm-hmm. the main archetype would be the king. And then the shadow is the tyrant right. and the weakling. And, and these are the extremes of each side. If of, you, of the shadow, yeah. Because if you balanced the way, then you would be a good king. You would be right. just. So there's potential. Right. And so if you choose not to do that, if you let your shadow overrun you, then you could become a tyrant, you know. Right. So this was interesting with the king, because I think, oh, king's masculine. I don't really relate to the king. But then mm-hmm. I went back and reflected on the king. And the aspect where it's like the weakling was a past life I had. And that I learned through Akashic Records, mm-hmm. where I was Philip III, who was like the king of Spain. And he he wasn't a good king. You know, he wasn't an evil king. Right. But he gave his power away mm-hmm. so that he could just kind of live life, you know? Yeah. Make a bunch of babies, party hard, and, and kind of threw his country under the bus. So even though I couldn't, I was like, I'm not the king. You know, you think, oh, I don't have this archetype. I was like, how weird and deep does it go? I mean, how many lifetimes? Like, so maybe you don't have the, that right now, but I mean, at some point you probably have right. actually embodied that in a past life. But we also work with these archetypes with others. So like my son, you know, he's has a Leo stellium. So, I mean, it's such a big, and his son, right. he's a Leo's son <laughs> with his Venus and Mercury. I mean, he's he thinks like a Leo. He loves like a Leo. He shines like a Leo. Mm-hmm. But Leo is king. And so it's funny because with the king, it really, you know, I look at Emerson sometimes as like he'll just start bossing some people around. And I'm just like, buddy, <laughs> you know, like you want to be a good king. Right. You know, you want to consider everyone's feelings and, and it's okay to lead. It is. Right. But you have to consider everyone in the room, you know, that you're leading because that would make you a bad king, right? If you were just bossing people around and not asking them, like, do you do you want to play this game with me? Right. Like, are you, are you actually, you know, desiring this or am I pushing you? Right. Yeah. Making you do it. Right. Because people don't want to be around, you know, someone that's bossy or that's telling them, you know, you have to act this way. Right. So I'll let you come up with that what are some of your archetypes that stand up <laughs> well i don't uh that's hard to say well, <laughs> on the spot but this list i thought was really really good and i feel like it helps you kind of understand the way that that they work because at the top you know you've got the the shadow ruler is also known as the tyrant mm-hmm. it's the archetype that takes control to the extreme right they're repressive dictatorial oppressive you got the anarchist which is the shadow version of the rebel Mm-hmm. That's very Aquarian. And they take rebellion <laughs> to the extreme. They're yes. disruptive, chaotic, destructive. And they just, it's, it's all of this is the extreme when you don't have it balanced. Right. So here's some shadow work that I've done recently. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
I all I have Aquarius stellium mm-hmm. and it's in the first house. So it's it's all about me. Okay. <laughs> um <laughs> so I have to consider Aquarius is kind of the rebel mm-hmm. of the zodiac. Um but I have to step back often and consider am I am I doing this in an extreme way? So, you know, as far as co-parenting, you know, I have my beliefs about homeschooling mm-hmm. and I'm very set. So Aquarius is fixed. It's a fixed sign. Mm -hmm. And I'm very set on why I want to homeschool. Okay. And when I was challenged, you know, because I'm co-parenting with someone, I, you know, I kind of reacted in an absolutely not, you know, this is the plan. We've always wanted to do this. Mm -hmm. But, you know, towards the end of the day, I thought about how the conversation went. And I just thought about you know, my son. And then I thought about my views and, and I still lean towards homeschooling. Right. But I had to acknowledge that maybe at some level, you know, I'm, I'm over mm-hmm. doing that. And I, I rebel so much against the authority right? that I might be too extreme the other way. Maybe there is, you know, cause he was, he was pushing, you know, all the good things about public school. And right. I'm just like, no, no, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> I don't want to hear it. I homeschool. But then afterwards, I recognized that maybe I was harsh and, you know, and I should have listened more. But like, I'm allowed to have my opinion, Mm -hmm. but so is he. Right. Right. And Emerson has opinion. So he's a Leo Stellium. He has a different way of viewing the world than, you know, than me. And so maybe at some point, public school would be okay for him. Right. Right. It was traumatizing for me so but you know i want him to be old enough to where he knows who he is so that like when some kid tells them that that, that's stupid you know that he already is so comfortable with who he is as a person that he's not going that's not going to just totally shatter him right you know so i i want him to grow into that that's somewhat of a good uh a good lead in i guess you could say with uh discussion on the the balance and the not extreme it's really easy to to understand that you shouldn't be extremely dark right but it's a little trickier to to think about well extreme good you know can balance out in that same way you know and um the first example that comes to my mind even though it's just from a movie or cartoon it's from the hunchback of notre dame which Emerson is obsessed with right now. Right, it's perfect. <laughs> but you've got the main bad guy, Frollo, and he's this priest, you know, who's heavily repressed. And, like, just look at the awful things that he does from his repression. And right. he's trying to do this extreme good. And it, you can take that into the real life where you have, like, the Catholic priests that have, you know, uh, conflict or <laughs> indiscretions with children or various things. Like, they're trying so hard to be this good and like this repressed thing comes out. And sometimes Mm -hmm. it's really horrific right? when it pops out because we're not actually doing it. Or maybe you spend all your time off on uh, uh, mission trips or something and you neglect your family and you you neglect your children or something. And so there's this extreme. And so just because you're doing good doesn't mean that it's, it's balanced or it's right. If you're not equally balancing on both sides. And so you have to be careful on the extreme for either side. Right, right. The Catholic Church is such a great example. I mean, there's so many examples, mm-hmm. but I think the Catholic, what we've seen 
happened within the Catholic Church, well, really throughout its entire history, but what we're actually finally acknowledging right. is that there is a big shadow there. Yeah. You know, and that's a collective shadow. Sure. So I'm not saying that all the people that are Catholics on a personal level, you mm-hmm. know, are the same. However, at some point are we what are we doing when we ignore right. the shadow of the the thing? So this is something that I, I'm always really nervous about affiliating myself with an organization. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to call myself this. I don't want to call myself that because guess what happens when I affiliate with a group? I now am ethically or morally obligated to look into the shadow of that group. And then it almost yeah. drives me crazy. So I actually just kind of choose to do my own thing and work on my own shadows and not, I don't want it to get too complicated. Right. But yeah. I don't think I, I don't think the Catholic Church would like me if I was a member. They would just be like, please stop with the shadow work. Now we'll <laughs> say when we were discussing this earlier, you did point out that they do have a ritual to help because they've got right. the confession. All religions have these rituals within them that actually is very the and rituals are beautiful. To come let out your shadow. But you can create your own. You actually don't have to do Right. Any ritual that's ever been done before, it's not the ritual of confession is no more powerful than you writing your thoughts out. Right. In, at the end of the day. Right. So it's you give your power away. Well, at and that then, point. so that that brings up the the idea that they they're using it kind of in a manipulative way because right. they would have you believe that if you don't do it that way, then it's not going to work. Right. And it is working for people because it is for some people some that people might use that correctly. might be the only time that they do shadow work. Right. And so for some and they people, do they do it might, accurately. They do it the way they're they supposed depend to on it. You know, so I I had a friend and um, her husband ex-husband <laughs> had was a devout Catholic and he had, had had all these affairs. He had slept with prostitutes and all these things. And, and she kind of laughed and she, she was like, he was such a devout Catholic that he finally confessed it all to me. And, and then he felt better, <laughs> you know? And, and at some point it's like, okay, <laughs> right. but that there was this, you know, he's like, I'm doing the shadow work, you know, I'm, that's my, I'm paying out the shadow. So I'm, con- I'm morally and consciously fine now because I confess to it. Right. But at that point, is it really being whole? So the whole point in shadow work, right, is to integrate mm-hmm. and integration is integrating the shadow is step one in the process of individuation. So yes, you can confess, mm-hmm. but if you continue to do things after you realize that they hurt people or or that they're you know they they go against your own moral ethics then you you're not really doing any work right you know what i don't even really know what that is well that's it's like some say, kind of avoidance there's a difference there in, with that in ethics and that i think is best described as someone like a like a samurai or someone who's trained in a deadly art like if, trained with a sword and like they could kill you. They could right. kill anyone they wanted to, but they choose not to because they're a good person. And so they have the skills and they know what they're capable of. They know that they could kill someone. They know that they could hurt someone if they wanted to, um, but they don't. And that's an integrated shadow. And that's the way that we ultimately need to to try to get ourselves to the point where I know that I'm capable of this. I know that I could 
harm you. I know that I am powerful, but I'm not doing that because I'm a good person. Mm -hmm. So just because you address your shadow doesn't mean that you're going off to do bad things. You're not like, okay, I'm going to do shadow work. So now I'm going to be a bad person for a week or something. It's acknowledging that you have that power and then using it to still do good things or still do what's right. That right. you have ethics and there is a difference between the shadow and the ego and right and wrong and then ethics. And you mm-hmm. can certainly have an integrated shadow and still be a very a ethical your, person. Right. A lot of your ethics are formed based from your ego's observation of well, that's your reality. True. Yeah. I, although I do think that there's probably a few things that are universally ethic. Right. Like in murder. every culture. Yeah. It's yeah. And that so, would be like the actual collective, not like this religion or that religion or this race or that definitely. race, but like the collective as a whole has a shadow, like the whole planet. That Now that is absolutely <laughs> true. And so each organization and each religion and stuff sets up their own things that they consider right and wrong. And those little details start to become trivial. Right. So I want to define what the word integration means because, you know, it sounds really complicated. It's like, what does integrating it mean? And, and everyone talks about it. Yeah. But just... It's just kind of abstract. Going to, I'm going to read you the definition of integration, and then I'm going to kind of talk a little bit about it. So, simply put, integration is the action or process of combining two things in an effective way, two or more things in an effective way. So, we're not eliminating the shadow. We're not eliminating the ego. When we talk about integration... We're talking about bringing them together, okay, and creating harmony. And at some point with integration, as far as Jung is concerned, you know, this is about loving and accepting all the parts of ourselves, okay? Um, And this love helps us love others more, too. So, simply put, what is integrating? It's blending that, that ego with the shadow, merging them. So this would be like in the center, the transcendent function, right? This is how we transcend all of this, what's not the self. Right. Okay. The true self that, you know, existed before you were born, that will continue to exist after, right? All of those, it's beyond that. So I'm not saying transcend it, like don't have your ego, you know, you need the ego while you're alive. Right. But there are, points where you can be so harmonious that you are like just fully embodying the self which is like the spirit or the soul you know psyche is soul so you know and if i think about it so another way to do shadow work and this would be kind of like a big aspect for young was the mandalas Mm -hmm. and so we talked about this in with the school but the center of the mandala he you know which is like this, you have the circle or the cross within. Mm-hmm. Well, the point within all of that is the self. And so it's also interesting to think about like in astrology, when you think of the sun, mm-hmm. which is the self, and it's like this glyph, it's it's a circle with a point in the middle. Well, that point is the transcendent function, you know, and, and that exists within every mandala. So when we make a mandala, um, we are pulling unconscious contents out and we're forming it in a way that is unifying, you know, within that circle, within that cross, there's a, this unification process that's, that's taking place. And it's actually making us whole, Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. on a very conscious level. And so what's the whole point, the whole point <laughs> of individuation is to become a whole person. It's for all of your aspects of your model of your psyche, which we talk about with Philip. Mm-hmm. Um, all of that is now integrated in, and it works together. Right. It's not, none of it's cut off. You know, you can't cut off the life force for the shadow right. and not expect something bad to happen. All right, so let's, I guess, share a little bit about how the shadow work has benefited our relationship with each other, our children, and our community as a whole. And some of the tools that we discovered along the way. Let's t- let's share a little bit about that. Okay. Well, we've definitely done a lot of shadow work. And, you know, the, the journal that you talked about <laughs> definitely helped get us going in the right direction. But I think once you start doing it, it it becomes second nature and then it starts happening everywhere because you start asking yourself, well, why did this happen? And why are you reacting that way? And we, you know, obviously once you start seeing that there's deeper reasons for some things, then you understand there's deeper reasons for all of it and you can start affecting things. And I think especially once you get a little bit of results and you start actually getting into some of the, the why and some of the, the deep reasons that you may react certain ways um, that you're able to start really peeling it back and it becomes a much easier process. You know, if you're a very angry person um, and you start addressing that, uh, then it becomes easier to see throughout the each process. And so you certainly can, you help me, look at things and I think it, it helps to have a, a partner that does that right, they because they can see things. Everybody that else sees your shadow before you do. Right. So I'm able to see your shadow and you're able to see mine. Right. And, um, and it, it's easier, right? Cause like I can see, oh my gosh, she's projecting, mm-hmm. you know, but it's really cool. Cause like, so we've been working on integrating our shadow. The work's never done. Okay, it's a conscious choice that we actively engage in. And so anytime we start to lose our temper or get frustrated, we work together, mm-hmm. right? And we have found like some really cool ways of grounding each other. So, you know, Robert Johnson also talks of, about like the most powerful thing is when two shadows communicate with each other and we've totally done this, but... The key, I think, for us doing it together is to to remain open, grounded, and operating, you know, from love. Mm-hmm. And I think that love helps us, you know, because, like, when you study, like, the shadow, like, it almost seems like you're being critiquing. So right. this is why astrology is so cool because it's it's not like someone's telling you, mm-hmm. you know, that you're hypercritical. It's like, I'm sorry, you just have that potential in your chart. Right. So it's like you can kind of tell that to someone and pull back and they don't say, Oh, you know, are you criticizing me? <laughs> right. You know? So I think if you're operating from love that you're able to recognize it, you know, I'm not like, you don't need to be this way. Right. It's like, you know, you might need some space. You might need, I might light an instant. I might like for me when I have my stuff, um, cause I do have anxiety and, and all this stuff and it does come from shadow stuff. I'm sure. You know, and there is some trauma and all that has, has, you know, fueled some of that. And so it's like, you can tell when I'm, when I'm about to hit <laughs> this anxious, 
part of my day or my story or whatever. And then you'll bring me my TLCT, which is tender loving care tea that my herbalist makes. <laughs> and, um, she also makes me a light formula. Mm-hmm. And, and she, when she made it for me, she was like, this drives out all the darkness. And so this is a ritual. Mm-hmm. Okay. And when I drink the tea, I feel like I'm able to process the darker feelings in a very grounded way. And crystals are also really great for this. There's so many crystals that help us ground. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the other things. Mantras, mm-hmm. you know, really help when when you've done the shadow work and now you kind of want to, you know, create a different vibration. Right. right. To sort of change it up after you did it, you know. So after you process, like you go through a big thing, you might want to just jump in water. You might want to just rub mud all over you. You might right. want to burn some stuff, you know, and this is part of the ritual, mm-hmm. you know. And, and I thought it was interesting when he was talking about how throughout all of time, sacrifice and salvation have always kind of went hand in hand, but that the shadow doesn't, it doesn't have to be literal. Right. And so we can make these sacrifices, mm-hmm. right? And this helps save us in, in some way, or you, what it's really doing is uniting us. And so, you know, we do regular rituals where we write what we want to release down. And we're not trying, when we burn them, we're not actually trying to eliminate it. So I write them down on a piece of paper. I fold it up. I, I draw an alchemical symbol for transmutation on the top of the paper before I burn it. So I'm not actually trying, like, so let's go back to jealousy. I'm not trying to completely pretend like I'm never going to have that sensation, but now I want to transmute jealousy into something else. Right. Right. You know, which would be like, I wouldn't have to be so jealous if I was loving myself. Mm -hmm. Right. So I might turn jealousy into self-love and love for others. Like, so that might be how I transmute it. So it could be different. But at the end of the day, when we do shadow work, we are doing alchemy, you know, and um, it's sacred and it's important. And there's just indefinite ways. Right. You know, the, the key is just to create some space for it. It doesn't have to be hours every day. I mean, good Lord, you still have to live. You know, it's like before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. <laughs> right. After. After enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. So it's not like you can just sit around and ruminate right. on your shadow. It's not about that. It's like the whole reason you're doing it, you know, you show show it love and then you can move on and you could actually live. Right. You know, I, you know, you can write something, you could write poetry or a song or just free form and make it art. Yeah. Listen to angry music or sad music or something and sing along and let it out, you know? And then like the example that, that Robert gave, you know, he had a friend that was a a chef and uh, he made a really nice fancy meal and took it out and threw it in the ocean. And sacrificed it. And so instead of taking a a young virgin or taking the best goat or calf in the town out and sacrificing that, he took, you know, his beautiful meal that he worked hard on and sacrificed it. And it's the act of destroying something. Right. 
you know, helped as a ritual to that. And that satisfied the shadow side of him right. after he had done something good. And the, so that story is coming from when he's talking about why do you, why would you need to do that? It's because every time we do a really great thing and we, we go all the way to the right and we're like saintly. So like maybe we like donated a big chunk of money to some charity organization. Mm -hmm. That would be maybe when we would want to make the meal and sacrifice it. Because when we do these really just things, okay, it, it kind of fuels our ego. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we become like, I'm such a good person, <laughs> you know, and, and then it kind of loses the original intent, which might be to help people. Right. And then it's like, I need to be recognized. Right. So I feel like the, like doing something like burning it or transmuting it at the end. So this is what keeps the teeter totter in balance. And so like he was talking about like these saints, you know, like when I see a nun or a saint, like I would assume if they're not doing shadow work that they've got a pretty big shadow because they're putting all of their focus on the right side. Right. And denying the other side. So I think about like a lot of these saints were, were writers, mm -hmm. you know, and and um, I just read a whole book on like Ficino and he's like a, I think he was like a bishop or something, but um, he would write the, some of the nitty gritty stuff about his self down, you mm -hmm. know, and, and he was very much into astrology and stuff. So I think in that way, he recognized that if you don't embrace it, you know, you're kind of being naive. Right. But I think, you know, these, if you're a monk or you're a really beautiful person and all you do is great things, it's even more important that you do shadow work. Right. Right. It's because you're so good you know, that it makes you feel as though you're disconnected from the shadow. And then that is not right. a harmonious energy. And that becomes almost an ego trap. Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying that people can't be good. But I'm saying that you have to reconcile these opposites and realize that one cannot and will not exist without the other. It's impossible to separate them. They are lovers, you know. That's and they're gets... operating. They're mirroring. Right. You know, so it's like there's this tension, but they're also, you know, they are one. Right. So, um, yeah, in that way, it's so important. And um, I'm trying to think if there's anything. Oh, so for like with our children, I mean, not only do am I more sympathetic when I catch them, you know, they might be yelling or projecting and I'm like, oh, they're projecting. So this is a, an opportunity mm -hmm. for us to work with them. And so it's actually it makes me a little less like responding mm -hmm. when they're having a breakdown and i you know i might be like okay let's right like let's make some some art like with iris like she's two and when she's having a really bad time and it's like i can tell that she can't reset i'll be like you want a watercolor with me and she'll mm -hmm. say yes and then she'll go and make a big mess mm -hmm. but she's better Right. And so at that point, that's almost like her ritual, like her mandala. So I recognize that she needs an outlet. For Emerson, it's different. You know, right. it might be like go outside and run around, mm -hmm. you know, and get your sword out and just <laughs> play Zelda, you know, pretend like you're a warrior. You know, that's more of a Leo thing anyways, I think. Just fully embrace that right. king and then come back and then we can all, you know, exist peacefully and then also not projecting onto my kids 
when I'm having a bad day and they're being loud, mm-hmm. okay, that might trigger me. But because with the shadow work, I'm actually aware of how it's, you know, their loudness is all the time. But for whatever reason in that moment, right. it's really bothering me. And in that moment, it's not them, it's me. Right. And so I have to do my own self-care, right? right? Instead of yelling at them to be quiet, mm-hmm. what do I really need in that moment? I need to create quiet, sacred space for myself. So I might go hide in the bathroom for five minutes. Right. You know, I might put on my headphones and be like, you know, where I can see them, make sure they're safe, but I might be listening to binaural beats because I recognize that their loudness is just showing me you know, deep down, I need silence right now. Right. And I'm not honoring that. And so I have to be able to create it for myself, you know, so that's some self-love. And it's important to go ahead and start teaching the kids these things. Yes. So that when they get upset or when they have a big emotion come out, we don't shame them or make them feel guilty or make them feel like that that was wrong or something, because that in turn just fuels their shadow later. Right. And so we have this opportunity now to to help them start to integrate it earlier. Right. And to sort of talk about right and wrong, I want to say like objectively, but that to give them these other examples that it's not all right and it's not all wrong. It's not all good. It's not all bad. Mm-hmm. So like maybe we wouldn't do this particular thing in public. Right. But I'm not saying that... You doing it is shameful. I'm you're saying, not a bad person because you right, did it. Let them know that you're teaching them so that they can, to some extent, fit into society because you need to. You don't want right. your kid to be so wild and just like peeing in people's plants and <laughs> that, that people look at them in a negative way. And then now that's how they feel about themselves. So it's important to say, we don't do that. Right. Because, you know, the public deems that like we don't just pee. You know, in public places, that's (laughs) something you have to teach boys. And I'm not trying to shame him, right? So I'm like, this is totally okay. Mm -hmm. This is like actually kind of a taboo thing, but society deems it unacceptable. So that way he doesn't, you know, he understands it and it doesn't become a shadow thing. It's just like, well, I'm just not going to, I'm not going to pee in public, right? right? (laughs) I'm not ashamed of my desire to pee in public. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) I was going to say on that same thought, but it's not on peeing in public, so I can't really say that. That's <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah, we're all women. But, like, one of the things that I'm personally working on is is a, a shame. And it, it caused me throughout my life in lots of different areas to, to be real private and, and secretive and to not share much about who I am or what I'm feeling or my desires or anything like that with anyone. And whether that came from rejection or or shame or guilt or scolding or whatever it may be there's any of that all plays together um it slowly over time caused me to just repress repress all of that or to hide it and to to not let it be seen and that was my persona i didn't i didn't want to keep feeling like people thought i was this way or that way and so to protect myself then you feel like that you just you hide it or, right. or something. And then it comes out in all of these other ways and you don't have control over that because it's your unconscious. Mm-hmm. And that's the whole point. And so if you're not letting it out, then you run that risk. And so by 
by telling your kids oh, that's shameful or don't do that or you shouldn't be that way or something and they start hiding it and maybe th- that's just the way they are they like that and right, now and now they start hiding now they hide it other aspects of themselves they think well i can't be myself here so maybe i'm not a likable person or maybe that this part of me makes me ugly or makes uh-huh. me stupid and so I don't want people to think of me that way. So I'm not going to act this way or I'm not going to tell someone when I feel this way. Right. And all of them that grows and they get older and it gets worse and more embedded. And then you st- it starts really coming out and hurting people here and there. And mm-hmm. so it's our job to, to at least in the home life to not be that way and to show them that even if they feel that way, they can channel it into something else. You know, like I, I've been thinking you know, if him gets mad playing video games like maybe we get him to to do an exercise do some jumping jacks or do some push-ups or something and and better himself and channel that frustration into uh into something beneficial uh you know or there's lots of different examples but that's just one way that me personally that i've been working on addressing my shadow and, and mm-hmm. discovering ways that it keeps itself inside and and how it's hidden from a lot of different shame or guilt from when I was younger. Right. And it needs attention. It needs attention. Here's another example of astrology helping us and and specifically you. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, your Mars is in the 12th house Mm -hmm. (laughs) and the 12th house is one of the more complicated houses to understand. And it's, it's hidden, you know, it's, it's unconscious. Right. So there are a lot of that, the shadows and stuff like that kind of reside in that house. So we made, okay, this was our ritual. We Uh made a sigil, Mm -hmm. me and you, or I made it for you, and I put it on the fridge. And it's the Mars symbol, Mm -hmm. you know, and you also have Vesta like right there. And so I combined the Mars and Vesta um, glyph and... I also, the colors I chose based on the fact that that's like a watery house, but mm-hmm. it's in an earth sign. So I added the the symbols for earth and water. And so I, I, I kind of put a lot of thought into it, but try to keep it as simple as possible and put it on the fridge. Mm-hmm. So now every time you see it, it reminds you of what is what is hidden. Right. But what you know is there. And so that was our little ritual for that. But what happens when you do the work? Well, Emerson also has Mars in the 12th house. So when you actively acknowledge and give your Mars direction, mm-hmm. you are teaching Emerson, our, the next generation, how to do that properly as well. So it's so important that we are like a model Right. Mm-hmm. For good mental health for our kids, for living these whole lives, for, you know, finding the spiritual and the beauty within life and, you know, just loving ourselves and being and being nice to ourselves. Right. You know, during this because shadow work is messy. It's like I said in the beginning, it's <laughs> not easy. Right. But, you know, if you think about like a whole bunch of threads. OK, mm-hmm. I, I embroider. So I, I'm a textile artist and. <laughs> And there's a lot of tangles, right? Right. So I would think about if I had 17 different colors of thread and I mixed them in a bag and shook them up, you know, when I first start untangling it, it's going to seem so daunting. It's going to be like, this is impossible. But maybe after I start pulling out like three or four of the colors and eliminating those threads, it becomes a little bit more manageable. Mm -hmm. Right. So 
all of the little bits of shadow work that we do kind of make it a little bit easier. And it's like you almost get used to it in that way of, you know, as soon as that sensation comes up, you're working on it. And so you're not repressing it. So the shadows that we're working on mostly are the things that we had already repressed. Right. So we're still pulling that stuff up, but the day-to-day stuff is kind of being taken care of as it happens. Yeah. And it's not being shoved under the bed or the closet or whatever your analogy would be. And so, yes, you still might have some things from your childhood to work through. And I don't know if that ever stops. For me, it's really hard. Like I have like weird things that interconnect all the time. I'm like, holy crap. I didn't realize that was a freaking thing you know right. that's a that's been holding me back so i work on it but the the beautiful thing about the shadow and here's what's so golden about it is so i might work on my fear of abandonment right mm-hmm. and i realize one day that you know maybe this other fear just went away and i didn't even understand it yeah and i realized oh i'm just not afraid of that anymore and it's because there was all of this stuff that was attached to that fear of abandonment. And so when I worked on that, I actually freed myself from many other phobias or fears. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even realize it happened. And this is like, like homeopathy, you know, it's like you're working on, you're working with this one energy, but it's a treating the whole person. And so when I worked on, so I'm thinking I'm working on like hormones but mm-hmm. then I realized, okay, the hormones are better, but I also have more mental clarity. I have these other things. And I'm like, this is because the whole, me as a person, the whole person was being treated. Right. So I can't heal this aspect and not heal this. Right. Okay. But it works the opposite way too. You know, like I think about like allopathic medicine, like you take a medicine to treat the liver and now it's affecting the heart or whatever. So that's also how the shadow works. Like you think, oh, well, I'll repress that down and it won't affect anything else. But because it's all interconnected, just having like that one thing that you're repressing mm-hmm. is actually affecting you as a whole. Well, that that's one of the reasons that I would put under the column for why you should do this work. Right. Um, because one of the examples that I think we gave and then they've given is like going to a party um, and being kind of a pushover and somebody making fun of you or this and that, if you had your shadow properly integrated and you were fully aware of your power and you embodied it by nature, that eliminates most of the possibility of somebody picking on you mm-hmm. period. So because you're more confident in your ability, you interact with the world differently Therefore, when you walk into that party, you have a different air about you, and it's far less likely that somebody is going to pick on you when you're very much confident and embodying your full power. Yeah, you're just not a target. You're not a target because you have you're just more confident, and it, you can look at it. I love the because you're going to be able to look at that person uh-huh. that's like making fun of your friend or whatever in the eyes, right? And without blowing up, you can say you know that is not nice right stop right? you stop can't doing keep that. doing that i don't uh, you're not right. allowed i will leave right. if you continue to bash my friend yeah i don't i don't have to take right. this like you can stop now or we can yeah i'll leave right. or this and can so happen they don't even do it to you because they know that you're going to stand up for yourself right you're not right? a pushover anymore 
And, and so like, that's one of the biggest reasons is it, it brings you this power. And that's the whole point. You're not becoming a dark, evil person. You're becoming an empowered person, a person who is aware of who they are and have in the strengths that they have. Mm-hmm. I think so often we, we look at all these things as, as weaknesses. So we try to avoid it, but it's not. And my, my favorite example is the martial arts. It's so much, it, it tells you exactly the way it should be. Like you're capable of great things and, and you could totally defend yourself. You could hurt somebody if you wanted to. Um, and once you know that you can walk down the street confidently mm-hmm. and nobody's going to bother you. And so it takes away a lot of that fear. And like I said it before, just because you can doesn't mean that you're going to go hurt somebody. You mm-hmm. just acknowledge that you could and everybody better be aware that I could hurt you. And if you have that attitude, then they're not going to cross you because they don't want to get hurt, you know, like good grief. And they can see that because it's coming out of you, but you're still doing good things and righteous things and you're being a good person. Mm -hmm. But that, so, you know, I, when we talk about shadow, it, it, I feel like that there's a lot of reasons to be hesitant at first. You're like, I'm, I don't want to admit that I'm a liar. I don't want to admit that I cheated. I don't want to admit that I could kill somebody. You know, you don't want to see the Nazi in you or see the whatever the the bad king in you. But when you do acknowledge it, then you can face it and balance your teeter totter, and and you can use that energy and and push you forward to do the things that you want to do. You can you can create things or you can be whoever you want to be without this fear. And this is like truly embodying love. So right. at some point, you know, the shadow wants to say that these things outside of ourselves are so evil. Like Nazis are so evil. Right. And I'm not saying that they're, they're, they don't have terrible qualities, but we cannot fight right. hate with more hate. Right. And so, so at some point you have to learn to love those people that are outside of yourself that are causing all this ruckus and say, well, they just haven't done the work and, and I'm going to love them and I'm going to set the example and I might fight them. You know, I'm going to stand up for innocence, yourself. but at some point, you know, working on the projecting hate onto those people that you deem as evil. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. It, it does. It does two things. Uh, one is it allows you to love yourself uh, because you understand that you're not this evil person. And two, it allows you to love everyone else because you realize that they're not this evil person. That they're, they have the potential as well. Right. They might just have not planted that seed yet. More than likely, they're projecting something that's happened to them to you. And I know you, you say a lot that, you know, if a lot of times people that accuse you of things are often guilty of it themselves. Yeah. And because they're projecting it. Exactly. And so you don't take it so offensively now when somebody's, you know, looking at you. Yeah. And saying, oh, my gosh, you're so loud. You're so this or whatever. And you realize that, you know, they're actually. That that's a part of them that they dislike or that they. I can still love them. Right. Even though they're sitting there critiquing me. Mm -hmm. And it's because I recognize it's not about me. Right. You know, but I also realize maybe I am loud or whatever it is. And the thing is, is if, you know, your shadow rears up and you're like, what do you mean I'm too loud? (laughs) Well, you use that 
And and I think a lot is like, well, I'll show you right. and I'll be even better. Like I'm going right. to talk at this good moderate tempo. No one's ever going to say I'm too that's loud again. That's so funny. And so you're using that's and that's the example of how you get the energy out of it. That's you're, kind of where in some way the podcast probably came from is so many people tried to silence me anytime uh-huh. I would talk about anything that mattered to me and they'd be like, well, you're really stupid. Uh-huh. You're unscientific, you know, oh, head in the clouds. And and they so I wouldn't be able to even speak in like my own group of friends because there would be right. these gatekeepers mm-hmm. that would say, no, you're not allowed to talk about that. Right. You know, where's your sources? I- and so what did I do? And what probably drove them crazy is like <laughs> I created a whole podcast where I get to talk about whatever I want to. Right. And there are actually quite a few people out there that can relate to me, mm-hmm. you know, and it's so funny. And, and maybe I did. I utilized the energy of people telling me to shut up over the years right. and rolling their eyes at me and said, well, you don't have to listen, but that doesn't mean I'm going to stop talking. And think about how much more motivating that was than going about it from the ego Right. Where if you were like, I'm going to make a podcast and everyone's going to love me. And, and I'm going to talk about how much I hate these people that judged me. Right. And everyone's <laughs> going to think that I'm this way and it's going to be great. And I just don't feel like you would keep that motivation as long. Right. Because the other way has so much more energy potential, right. which is wild to think about. And I think at one point he, he even pointed out, he's like, you know, we've we've exhausted uh, our, our energy from the ego. Like we've, we, you know all of the best ways to get energy from somebody stroking your ego. Right. You've done that. You do conscious. it every day, all the time. Because it's conscious. So right. it's very easy. It's right there at the surface. I'm going to do this and they're going to think I'm cute or I'm going to do this and they're going to notice I'm strong or like all of this. Mm-hmm. But you, there's so much more energy potential that we haven't even tapped into by utilizing the shadow. Right. And so I, I that's a, been a super fascinating point through all of this. For sure. So I'm going to end with... Um, another reading from this young book um, that is sort of just, you know, his view on maybe like, why is this so important? Okay. So, and then, you know, we'll talk for a second, but um, anyways, it is often tragic to see how blatantly a man bungles his own life and the lives of others yet remains totally incapable of seeing how much the whole tragedy originates in himself and how he continually feeds it and keeps it going. Not consciously, of course, for consciously he is engaged in bewailing and cursing a faithless world that recedes further and further into the distance. Rather, it is an unconscious factor which spins the illusions that veil his world, and what is being spun is a cocoon which in the end will completely envelop him. This work is important because if if you're not consciously working with it, mm-hmm. it's still working with you. Right. Okay. So, you know, it's... And that personally, I was going to say frustrates me, but that feels like a shadow. But I don't, I don't want to just be a victim to this, you know, this power that will cause this unconscious to do these things. Mm-hmm. I'd like to feel more in control of my emotions and my my destiny, my my power. So that's the more that I learn about doing this, the better it is. Awesome. All right. If you all like this episode, um, we have a previous one that covers the whole model of the psyche. 
um, with Philip Cliff. So we talked about the shadow. That's just one aspect of the the greater model. Mm-hmm. Um, we also go way deeper into Jungian concepts in our Life as a Guru program um, that you can join on Mighty Networks. You can literally search Life as Guru. Um, and this is a program me and Philip work on. Um, we teach it locally, but we also record it. And then in our... Life is Guru, the whole community sort of communicates and talks. and But so far, every class we've done has had one aspect of the model of the psyche. That's what I'm saying. Intertwined it's, in it because you can't really It's such it. a so, big... And I think that it's the critical point of our evolution. I think why it's so big is when you go back and study all these different levels of evolution in the, in humans and whether that's through astrological means or mythology or dimensions or any of it, I think that understanding our psyche now is the way that we push forward and evolve again. And I guess that's why it's so important and embedded in all of this other mystery teachings. Right. Because that's how we, that's how you do it. But you, you integrate your shadow, you go into your heart, you balance it and you find that heart center that radiates love out and it shoots you into the fifth dimension and yeah, which is love which is love yeah and it's pure love and then and it, and that also transcends the duality cuz you right. shoot across the third and fourth dimensions right because polarity, polarity exists. doesn't exist in the fifth dimension so by, by finding that balance that's where you head towards the enlightened stage that's good that's good all right well thank you so much and thank you all for tuning in check us out next time on the astral hour Thank you.